It's amazing just how fast our lives have changed over the past three years. Think about that. We look back when we were first told about this thing in February of 2020 called COVID. Nobody ever even heard of this thing. It was called the coronavirus. A lot of people thought that was a beer. I don't know how you can get sick from drinking beer. I've never, I, I did taste a beer once and didn't like it and spit it out. My cousin said, you guys, you got to drink a beer. And I said, no, I don't. That's lousy. How do you, you have to develop a taste for it. Okay, you think about that. Each year, a very progressive uh, news magazine called The Week uh, publishes a page titled Poll Watch. Uh, this news magazine covered it this year. It, it was the January 2024 edition, and the subtitle was The Way We Were in 2023. How has society changed? Well, listen to some of these statistics and see how we've changed. For better, for worse, you do the tally. We're more tolerant of marijuana. 70% of us want it legalized. That's up 20 points since 2012. We own more firearms. 52% of America know someone, someone in their home who holds and who owns a gun. That's up six points since 2019. 71% believe same-sex marriages should be legalized, up 27% since 1996. 7.2% of Americans identify as LGBTQRSTUVW, double the number in 2012. 57%, it, here's a cute one, 57% admit to being addicted to their telephones. Now listen to this. 60% sleep with them. Anybody here want to volunteer sleeping with your phone? Do they take up a lot of room? Are their feet cold at night? 47% feel panic if the battery level drops below one-fifth. Anybody? I don't even, I don't know my, my battery level is down until my phone shuts down. 40% of people in America are afraid to walk alone at night. That's the highest level since 1993. What a sad commentary on our society. Change is all around us. We probably don't even realize its impact and it's the impact it has on our everyday life for better or for worse. Most people don't like change. I bet you most people here don't like change. Many people resist it as best they can, but there's nothing new about our reluctance to go where no man has gone before. We don't like change. History tells us and shows us that the church and clergy have been some of the strongest obstacles to any change. Yeah, the church is like always a generation behind on changes. Music they would not have accepted 25 years ago, they accept today. So the church does change, but it's so reluctant. Here's an example. This comes from a, a, a book called Stories, Illustrations, and Quotes by Robert J. Morgan. Listen to this. You're going to learn some stuff. Imagine surgery. Before the day of anesthesiology, patients were strapped down while scalpel and saw cut through tissue and bone, every slice and turn of the knife causing unimaginable pain. One Christian physician determined to do something about it. Sir James Young Simpson, 1811 to 1870, 
practiced medicine in Scotland. He became senior vice president of the Royal Medical Society of Edinburgh when he was only 24, and in time received virtually every possible honor and position. He dreamed of finding a way to putting patients to sleep during surgery. On Monday evenings, Simpson periodically invited small groups of physicians to his home to experiment with chemicals, crystals, and powders which were placed over a burning brazier while the doctors inhaled the fumes. Nothing worked until November 4th, 1847. One of the men had purchased a crystal called chloroform in Paris. As the doctors sniffed the burning substance, guess what, uh, guess what happened? They fell on the floor unconscious. Simpson had his answer, but he soon encountered another problem. He was attacked by fellow Christians who claimed that pain was a God-ordained part of life. Freedom from pain comes only in heaven and is immoral to devise dangerous ways of escaping it on earth. Sir James went to his scriptures seeking answers. He no sooner opened his Bible than he came to this verse. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Carefully studying the text, Simpson wrote an article entitled, quote, Answer to the Religious Objections Advanced Against the Employment of Anesthetic Agents in Midwifery and Surgery. What a title. He ended his paper this way, quote, we may rest fully assured that whatever is true on point of fact or humane and merciful in point of practice will find no condemnation in the word of God. His critics were silenced and a new day dawned in medical science. Resistance to change. Some change is good, some change is not. This morning, through the reliable lens of Scripture, we'll examine this aspect of life, the good, the bad, and our attitude about change. The Bible tells us change is part of life. Have you noticed that? You can't do anything to stop it. Daniel 2.21 says this, He, God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kingdoms. Things change, and God says it's going to be that way. Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, to everything there is a season. You're going through a rough time right now, a rough patch right now. This may be your season of a rough time. Seasons change. Hang on. Don't give up. And if you can't hang on to God, He can hang on to you. So there's no reason for there to be a separation between you and He. The writer of Ecclesiastes goes on to list many of life's changing activities, birth to death, planting to harvesting, hurting to healing, crying to laughter, saving to spending, love to hate, and war and peace. It's been said when you're through changing, you are through. When you're through, through changing, try to say that and come from Brooklyn. When you are through changing, you are through. Change is not good change or the right kind of change when people decide that one of the things they want to change is God. He never changes. And yet so many think 
so many scholars, so many pastors and ministers and priests and rabbis think that they can reinvent him and make God fit their particular viewpoint of him. God doesn't change. He's the God of that book, which is never going to change. Amen, somebody? Amen. Romans 1.23. People change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like life, made like corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Any attempt to change the God of the Bible into the God of our own imagination is the first step on a downward spiral to sin and destruction. You can't make him up. He is all sufficient. Everything you want to know about God you'll find in his book. Read it. Study it. Meditate upon it. He'll reveal himself to you. Not this quick running through a half a verse and moving on, that's fine, it's okay, but nothing beats meditating on God's word. When we exchange a truth for a lie, right for wrong, absolutes for a philosophy of relativism that basically says it's all good, this is the kind of change that, was, that has unintended consequences. Yeah. When we do some things, we might receive consequences we never thought. So many of the changes that are being made in Washington, D.C., those folks never really evaluated the, con the unintended consequences that might come from them. We wind up getting into more trouble because they don't look a little deeper and dig a little deeper to find out what might really happen. Judges 5.8, when Israel chose new gods, then was war in the gates. In other words, when they chose the new gods, the nation began to collapse. Not from the outside, but from the inside. Does that feel like what's happening in our country today? Collapse from the inside? We don't need anybody to attack us. We're attacking ourselves. We're listening to a bunch of people who, at the very best, would be considered agnostic. But they're out-and-out -out atheists running so many of the institutions that we have, over the years, come to embrace. Over 3,000 years ago, change was promised by God. True change, real change, good change, change you can believe in, transformative change. Here's what God told the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's almost the definition of prophecy. When God tells you something before it happens and then it happens. And then look what he says here to prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days shall come, saith the Lord, when I shall make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I'm going to have a new deal with you, a new contract. What is a, con what is a covenant? It's defined as a formal solemn and binding contract or testament. God made a binding contract with us. What is it? Well, folks, we just celebrated it this morning. Listen again to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. As, as uh, Paul quotes Jesus, after the same manner, he took a cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
So the bread and the cup were part of his covenant. And that covenant said that he came to earth to die for you. And when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven. When you receive him as your Lord and Savior, your life is heading in a different trajectory. You have a purpose that you didn't have before. You have a new life that you didn't have before. There's new meaning to your life that you didn't have before. There is something going on in your life that's different because Christ has come to you. And the Holy Spirit has come into your heart because you asked him to come. He's not a bully. He's a gentleman. You knock, he knocks on the door and you open it. And when the Holy Spirit came into your heart and your life, your life really began. The spiritual part of your being was born. The new birth took place. You're born again, not just of flesh, but of the spirit. There is no greater agent of change than Jesus Christ. How many would say amen to that? There's no greater agent of change than Jesus Christ. And how many have seen, don't raise your hand for this, but raise it on the inside. How many of you have felt and seen changes in your life since you became a believer? Something has changed. What is it in your life? The great change agent is going to make sure that things are changed if you open up your heart to him. How can we learn to live with change? Getting a new job, leaving an old job, your, your health has changed, you're alone in life, the death of a loved one, some new challenge. How do you deal with that? I want to give you six keys. Number one, use your spiritual resources. These are the tools that come from God which he has given you. By the way, in your bulletin you have sermon notes where you can fill in the blanks. Those are the ones in red. You can fill in the blanks. So if you want to use this as a, as a study for yourself, it's right there in your bulletin. You can fill in the blanks. So you use your spiritual resources, which are the tools that God has given you. What are they? Well, first of all, this prayer. That's a tool that the Lord has given you. As you pray, pray for wisdom, pray for understanding, pray for discernment, the ability to hear something and discern whether it's right or wrong, whether it's true from a biblical perspective or not. Is this something that's not true? Because there's a lot of stuff that you can read when you go on the internet that's not true. How do you discern it? Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord to give you when you pray. Be patient. A very difficult thing for us to do. Then your other tool is the Bible. Search for God's direction as you open up the pages of his word. He has principles in there for you to live by. He has promises in there for you to claim. He has warnings in there for you to heed. When you read his book and you study his book and you meditate and on his word, you'll find things being revealed to, to you. Your eyes will be opened in a way they never were before. There are people who never open up a Bible. And yet you ask them, like your upholster, do you have a Bible? Oh, yes. Where is it? Some closet someplace. I don't know. Another tool is the person of the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you through the word. He may be speaking to you right now. Listen to his voice as it affirms the scripture. And finally, godly advisors like people in the church whom you trust, who you have seen, who you've watched, and seen that you could go to them and get counsel from them and know that they'll keep it to themselves. 
one of the most important things in my relationship to you is confidentiality, that I will not repeat what you've told me to anybody. Yeah, sometimes Gene will get on my back. But that's very important. Number two, recognize that some new things, the things that's happening in your life right now, are really old things rehashed. In other words, I rephrased it and said, you've been here before. You think it's new? You think it's a challenge you never had? You probably have been here before. This has probably happened in the past. Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10. The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. We have history to show us when we are heading in the wrong direction. You have history with the Lord to know that what he's telling you to do will lead you out, lead you away, lead you further along on your journey. I often tell people who I counsel, you may, the circumstance may not change. You may have to have patience to watch it. It may take a long time, but the thing that can happen in the interim is that you get patience from the Lord. He will help you to get through it. He'll hold your hand. He'll put his arm around you and give you a spiritual hug. He'll have somebody call you up and say, how are you doing? I'm just praying for you. Or somebody will, will tell you that they're praying for you. Or somebody will want to know how you're doing. Something will come to you that will show you the Lord is watching over you. Number three, keep things in balance. Matthew 13, 52, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that has a, ho a householder which brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. Things are going to come to you that are new. Things are going to come to you that are old. Old problems may not be going away as fast as you'd like them. Not everything old is bad. Not everything new is good. Sometimes progress is going backwards. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Balance God's promises against your fears and hard evidence over your emotions. Sometimes your emotions can be dangerous. Amen? Well, listen to this, or this writer. Adolf Hitler knew that. Here's what he wrote. I use emotion for the many and reserve reason for the few. We can be manipulated so easily. We saw ourselves manipulated over the last three years even by our very own government. It's easy to, to emotionally manipulate people. Number four, change confronts you for a purpose. There's a reason why you're going through some of these things you're going through. One of them is to test your faith and your faithfulness. Another thing is correction, something going on in your life that needs to change. What have you learned from previous situations that you can apply to this one? Fourth, third, growth, pushing the envelope. Listen to this. Maybe you want to write it down. As faith increases, fear decreases. As your faith increases, your fears decrease. 
It's a matter of they both can't occupy the same vessel at the same time. One of them has got to give. One of them has got to be displaced. It lets, let your faith displace and replace your fear with hope. What a wonderful word in our Christian lexicon is the word hope. When there are so many hopeless people in the world, they don't know where to turn. They don't know who to go to. They don't know what to do next. I know what to do. Pray and seek the face of the Lord and call upon him. I am not alone. Neither are you. As faith increases, fears decrease. Number five, remember what's most important never changes. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I change not. If you counted on him yesterday when things were good, you can count on him today when things are not. He's the same God. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We can say that about a Bible. Our Bible. Ephesians 1.13, your salvation, quote, is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Your status as a child of God and your place in heaven won't change. How about that? That make you feel good? You know, balance that out against what's going on in your life that's so unnerving. Six, let God change and transform you. Romans 12.2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It all starts up here. Negative garbage starts up here and translates itself down into the rest of you. Your mind can make you sick. Your attitude, your, your worldview, these things can make you sick or they can improve your health. You know, your attitude is so important. Have a godly attitude. Trust in him. In our closing story, one of which I have read on a number of occasions in this church, but when I look around, I realize that there, there are some people here who probably never heard me read this story. And I love it, and others of you have told me how much it means to you, so I'm going to share it with you. I first heard this from a guy who maybe half of you never heard of, Paul Harvey. Good day. This is what I heard from Paul Harvey, which just touched my heart, and I pray it does the same for you this morning. <clears throat> Each September, Miss Thompson greeted her new students with the words, boys and girls, I love you all the same. I have no favorites. Of course, she wasn't being completely truthful. Teachers do have favorites, and what's worse, they sometimes have students they just don't like. Teddy Stollard was a boy Miss Thompson just didn't like. And for good reason. He was a sullen boy who sat slouched in his seat with his head down. When she spoke to him, he always answered in monosyllables, yes, no. His clothes were musty, his hair unkempt. He was an unattractive boy in just about every way. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse joy out of putting X's next to the wrong answers. And when she put an F at the top of his papers, she did it with a flare. She should have known better. Teachers have records. She had records on Teddy. First grade, 
Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade. Teddy's a good boy, but he's too serious for a second grader. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade. Teddy's becoming withdrawn and detached. His mother died this year. His father shows no interest. Fourth grade. Teddy is a troubled child who needs help. Christmas came. The children brought presents to Miss Thompson and piled them on her desk. They crowded around to watch her open them. All the presents were wrapped in brightly colored paper, except for Teddy's present. His was wrapped in brown paper, held together with scotch tape. But to tell the truth, she was surprised he even thought to give her a present. When she tore open the paper, out fell a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and an almost empty bottle of cheap perfume. The other children giggled at the shabby gifts, but Miss Thompson had enough sense to snap on the bracelet and take some perfume of the perfume out of the almost empty bottle and put it on her wrist. Holding her wrist up so the other children, she said, isn't it lovely? The other children taking their cue from the teacher all agreed. At the end of the day, when all the other children had left, Teddy came over to her desk and said softly, Miss Thompson, all day, all day today, you smell just like my mother used to smell. That's her bracelet you're wearing. It looks so nice on you. I'm really glad you like my presence. After he left, she got down on her knees and buried her head in her hands and cried and cried and cried, and she asked God to forgive her. The next day when the children came to class, they had a new teacher. It was still Miss Thompson, but she changed. She was a new teacher. She cared in ways that the old teacher didn't. She reached out in ways that the old teacher didn't. But especially to Teddy, she nurtured them, encouraged them, tutored them when they needed extra help. By the end of that school year, Teddy had caught up with a lot of children. He was even ahead of some. Teddy moved away. Miss Thompson didn't hear from him for a long time. Then one day, seemingly out of nowhere, came a note. Dear Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from high school. I wanted you to be the first to know. Love, Teddy Stollard. There was no address, but four years later, there was another short note. It read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm second in my class. The university has not been easy, but I really liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. And four years later, there was still another note. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm going to be married the 27th of July, to be exact. I want you to come. And I want you to sit where my mother would have sat. You're the only family I have. My father died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. And she went. And she sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. Why? Because she deserved to be there. She was a teacher who had done something great for the kingdom of God, and she deserved a reward.
Let's pray. Father, there's good change and there's bad change. You only want the good for us. It's hard for us to change. Sometimes we have to overcome our ego, our own inertia, our anger, our bitterness, a list of things that go on that keep us from changing for the good from you. Keep us from evil, the kind of change that would drag us down, destroy our testimony, hurt those we know and love, and disappoint you above all. Help us, Lord, in this change business to change in such a way that we bring glory and honor to you and to your kingdom. I pray an anointing on my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord. And if you spoke to any hearts this morning about anything, I pray, Father, that they would just not be hearers of the word, but doers also. Thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' precious name, amen.